Well, good morning, everybody. I wonder if you could turn to the person next to you or somebody around close to where you are. And what I want you to do is I want you to just talk to them for a couple of just for a minute or so about your community, the environment where you live, wherever it is. Some of, for some of you, that'll be quite new. You've just moved there. Um, just the place that you consider to be your neighbourhood or your community. I want you to just turn to them and talk to them and say, what's great about it? Okay, what do you think God loves about it? And also, where are the challenges? You know, what, it, what, what do you think could, could be better? What could be different? Okay, just about the place where you live, just things that you've observed as you've gone about your life. So just turn to one another and just, just chat about that for just a couple of minutes. Your environment, your community, what does God think is great about it? What are the challenges? Okay, great. If you just want to be finishing that conversation and turning back around, that would be great. I've, pop, I've given you some notes today. We don't always do that, but uh, it sometimes helps when there's a fair bit of information. Hopefully you've taken the time and you've just started to unpack in your own mind the things that are great about your community and the things that perhaps are challenging and where, where, where perhaps change is needed or transformation is needed. I'm going to come back to that question a little bit later on. If you missed last week, um, this is the sort of second of three um, talks that we're going to do, um, uh, which is even part of a, a slightly bigger title, Leading Our Community Into Life. If you didn't get last week, this kind of follows on from that, and I do recommend that you catch up with that on the website uh, I won't go through it all, but I'll give you a very brief recap. And we started to talk about this concept of uh, being trusted rulers. Um, I talked briefly about Luke chapter 9 and 10, where Jesus sends out his apostles, his disciples, and he, gives them, he sends them in twos to go and basically do the stuff. He gives them power and authority in his name to drive out demons and heal the sick. And um, Paul is going to be uh, talking about authority specifically next week. And he, he asks them to proclaim the kingdom of God and preach the gospel. And he says the same to us. He's on a rescue mission to reach people and we are called to work with him to reach the lost, the hurt, the lonely and the broken. To see those who are looking for something, maybe they don't even know what they're looking for, but those who are looking for God encounter him. Maybe you're actually here today and you yourself are looking for an encounter with God. Maybe you feel that you might fit sometimes into that category of lost or hurt or lonely or broken. And if that's the case, I can promise you that if you haven't already done so, God, God wants to meet you today. If he hasn't already done it, he does. And we'd love to pray for you at the end. I mean, in order for this to become a re- reality, we talked last week about how each of us needs to become what we've called a trusted ruler. Now, this is quite a new concept, and we're exploring it and unpacking it about what it means. But in short, trusted rulers are people who know what their identity is, who know the authority that's being given them, and who know, have clarity on the assignment that they've been given to do. And last week, I unpacked the whole thing about identity and how our identity is in Christ. It's in Jesus. When we choose to follow him, a massive, massive transformation happens. We literally change our identity. We become new creations. We don't always live in that. We don't always um, believe it sometimes, but that is the spiritual reality. And if we can live from that place, then we're in a fantastic position to go 
and help others encounter the love of God. Next week, as I said, Paul will look specifically at authority. And so today I want to take this, this chunk of it, this corner of the triangle here, this assignment clarity. I wonder what your sphere of influence is. You know, when we read that passage from Matthew last week, uh, sorry, from Luke last week, it said Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he sent them to go to villages and towns. And he said, when you come to a house, say peace to this house. And if your peace is received and acknowledged, then you stay there. In other words, he said, look for the people who are your people of peace. He, sort of, he says the man of peace, but, you know, I think people of peace is a bit more politically correct these days. Look for the people who are the ones who want to hang out with you. Look for the ones who are at peace with you and hang out with them. Hang out with them and, and just spend some time and see what the Lord wants to do. And as followers of Jesus, we have all been given an assignment. And uh, you know what that is if you've um, been around church any time at all. You'll know that our assignment, or one of the ways of describing it, is this verse, which we've, we've spoken on many times here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus told his, his, uh, his followers, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. This is known as the Great Commission. This is the instructions. This is the mandate. These are the orders that Jesus gave to his disciples. There are some really interesting key words in that phrase. Um, the first one for me is go. What's, uh, what's complicated about go? <laughs> it just means go. Don't stay here. Go. Make disciples. I love that. It doesn't say make converts. It doesn't say get people to sign a dotted line or pray a prayer or jump through a hoop. It says make disciples. People who are wanting to live their lives in a way that honors and glorifies and follows Jesus. It says all nations. And um, you know, maybe the word nations could be uh, translated to as cultures, all cultures. But I'm really interested in the bit all. I looked it up in the dictionary. Do you know what it means? It means all. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> all means all. Okay? And then uh, it talks about baptizing them, which is a, a symbol. And baptism is symbolic of spiritual transformation. We're looking for a spiritual transformation here. And then teach them. There's an ongoing commitment to maturity. This is the assignment that Jesus gives all his followers. Every church should have this as their mandate and their mission statement. I wonder if we can be a bit more specific. Which is our bit of this jigsaw? Because this is a jigsaw, this is, if you imagine it as a jigsaw, this is a, a command that he gives to, the, to all believers. Where are we called to do this and with whom? And you've seen this before because I've shown you this a few times. I amended this statement to read, or I added a bit, that says teaching them to do all of that in Winchester, the surrounding areas and the communities where you live and work. You'll see cunningly I've put 19 to 20 plus there. The, the, the plus is my bit. <laughs> and, uh, and that's why I asked you to think about the neighborhood where you, where you live. What, what, I wonder why you're here. I wonder why you're here. I wonder why you find yourself in Winchester or Basingstoke or Southampton or Hampshire or wherever it is you live around here. I wonder if you came here intentionally. I wonder if you had a real sense of God calling you here. I wonder if you didn't plan to come here at all. You just ended up here. Maybe you. Is there anyone here who was 
born in, the, in this area and have stayed here all their lives. I'd be fascinated. Okay, yeah, a few people. Fantastic. So most of us weren't born around here, so for some reason God's brought us here. Some of us are really specifically sent to places, aren't we? Like um, Paul and Katie when they went to Egypt. Like Johnny and Beth who are over in Tajikistan. And for some people that's quite a dramatic thing. God says, I want you to go. You know? And, um, but for most of us it's not as dramatic as that, is it? If we're honest. We just find ourselves in a place and we go, oh, I wonder what, what am I doing here? What, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? Why am I in this neighbourhood? And maybe I've been sent here. I um, this is a this is a sort of quite quite crude lift. This is lifted out of our church database. Um, this is it. This is the database plotting the locations of people who are on our database, which is interesting, isn't it? You can't actually see the word Winchester. It's sort of under there in the middle somewhere. So this is very loosely where people in our church live. We're all part of a neighbourhood or a community, whether we chose it or not. And as I said to you, God has got plans for that neighbourhood. He's got things about it that he loves, and he's got things about it that that he wished would change. And I just wonder, for some of us, if God's asking us to be part of the solution to bring change to our communities. Whether that's a spiritual thing, whether that's a practical thing. What about your job? Let's not think about the place where we live. What about the place where you spend most of your, most of your week? If you work, that would probably be your place of work. If you're at home with kids, maybe it's your home or maybe your community or the school playground. If you don't work but you volunteer, um, wh- wh- where do you hang out most of the week? Who are the people that you hang out with? What's the environment that you hang out in? Again, I'd just love you to turn to your neighbour and just chat for a minute on what you think God's perspective is on that environment the network that you're part of. What does God love about it? And what does God want to see, do you think? What, you, what do you think God would want to change about it? How would you want to see it grow and develop? Just turn to your neighbour and, and chat about that for a minute as well. Okay, if you could turn back, that would be great. Thank you. So... I really believe that God has put each of us in environments and situations where perhaps we are the ones who are meant to work with him to bring about transformation and change. If your community, your environment is a great environment and there's nothing wrong with it, then that's awesome. (laughs) Celebrate. But if it's an environment where you kind of see a need, I'm not saying you have to be the person who meets the need out of some kind of crazy sense of duty. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, if God's shown you something, then start to talk to him about it. And what does being a trusted ruler mean for you or me in that environment? A friend of ours um, in another town is in an amateur orchestra. She plays the violin. In this orchestra, they get together once a week and they practice. And at the end of each term, they they give concerts. And um, this is a great orchestra and there's um, lots of people in it. And they all have busy jobs and busy lives. And... um, a couple of years ago in this orchestra, there was a real problem about uh, the musical director or the conductor or something. There was just a massive sort of disagreement about what was going on and how he was doing things and how he was leading things. And, um, and, and basically what happened is um, emails started to go around the orchestra that were, if we're honest, uh, le- less than helpful and uh, you know, pr- pretty much gossipy. 
and uh, started to, it started to be really unhealthy, the sort of cliqueiness. And, and our friend, she sort of was watching all this go on, um, f- you know, from the, the, the standpoint of being, well, I don't really believe this is helpful. And so um, sh- she got involved. She actually decided, look, I can... She sent an email to everybody in the whole orchestra saying, I understand there are problems, something like this, I understand there are problems, but it's really not helpful to be talking like this. Um, why don't we have an honest conversation and why don't we just uh, deal with this in the open? And if we're going to talk about people, let's talk about people to them and not about them to others. And she, she just simply said something like that. And the orchestra all thought this was so amazing that, that they pretty much volunteered her to be the, the leader of the orchestra. Not the musical leader, but, you know, to organise this. She said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but I will help because she didn't have time to do that, but she said, I will help this process, and so was able to facilitate a process going on where people were able to have open and honest conversations and sort the problem out. Um, and, and for her, that, for me, I think that's just a great example of what it meant to be a trusted ruler, to bring the kingdom of God values into an environment where she just goes, and she, she did say, I don't want this to be a nasty environment, I really love going there and playing my violin every week. You, you know, but, and and she, she actually felt like the Lord was saying, you know, step up. And act. Maybe you're, if you're a parent, maybe you're involved in your school's homeschool association or governors. Um, in our experience, most, some of those things can be quite cliquey and can be quite difficult relationally or politically within the sort of playground. And, and we've just found um, a couple of times really that just the prompting of the Lord just to go and get involved and just to try and speak calm and peace and be positive and, um, and lift, pos- lift up positive values. So, really it comes back to this key question, what is my assignment, what are my orders, what have I been tasked to do, and where have I been tasked to do it, or, or sent to, and I don't know, maybe the army sort of instructions, commission metaphor works for you, it, it doesn't really work for me, I'm not that kind of a guy, I was never in the scouts or anything like that, um, but for some, you know, the whole notion of carrying out orders is, is really helpful, um, and, and, and I agree, I think the Lord is giving us, has given us an assignment. Now, of course, as I said, we can't do this out of duty. You know, 1 Corinthians is very, very important. It says, look, don't do this out of duty. Do it out of love. Do it out of love. And actually, um, for me, it goes back even before that. It goes right back before the Great Commission. Um, this assignment that we've been given, actually, for me, goes right back to the start of the Bible. You see, I believe that mankind, we, were put on earth to reflect the glory of our creator God, to extend his kingdom, to rule over his kingdom and to extend it. If you look back at Genesis, and I'm talking about Adam and Eve before it all went wrong in the garden, I'm talking about before, before the fall, they were there to manage the sacred space. God was going to dwell there, he was going to walk there in the cool of the day, and they were there to enjoy his presence, to work the garden, to be with him and then to extend it. You know, That's what they were there for. That's what happened. And that's, I believe, a little bit about what God calls us to do. To enjoy God's presence, to work in his patch, the patch that he's put us in, and to extend it for his kingdom. And if you just look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 and 27, it's there at the bottom of your page. And it says this. Let's, this is after the creation poem. This is the sort of the pinnacle of it, the end bit. God makes the land and the sky and the sea and kind of orders the creation and sets everything up and then says this, let's make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them, the men have, and women have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the livestock and over all the earth, everything that he's just created and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So everything is created, the pinnacle of that, and let's make man, let's make him in our image, in the image of God, and have dominion over all of the earth. And so that's, that's what he did. And this word image, you've heard me talk about this before a couple of years ago. The key word for image here that God uses, that the, sorry, that the writer of Hebrews, uh, Genesis uses, is that the, the Hebrew word is tselem. And it, it actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a slightly odd one, this, but it suggests a cult statue. Now, by cult, I don't mean dodgy cult necessarily. Cult is just a word that means a religious group, okay? But it suggests a religious statue, a statue that takes on a name or characteristics of a pa- or the power of its God. In the ancient Near East, in the people around Israel, when the, write- when the writer of Genesis was writing this poem, there were many, many kinds of religion, many religions, and each of them had their, in quotes, gods, or their statues. Okay? Um, if you want to think about what it would look like now, um, perhaps something like... This, okay? Just imagine this. Now, I've been to a Hindu temple, and I've seen the worship that goes on. And it looks something like this. There are statues, and these statues are representations of the God. Okay? And those statues in that culture were thought to take on the image of the God. Okay? Once this statue was made, it was thought to take on God's very nature and the God's name... And as I said, this still happens today. Not only does it take on the image and the nature of the God and the characteristics, it's actually thought to possess the power of the God. Now you're all looking at me like, what's he off on now? Stay with me. because It was common practice, if you remember, in Hebrew times, if you were going to capture another nation, you would take their statues with you. You would take their idols with you. You would take their gods with you because in that God, that statue was thought to be the power. And there are stories in the Old Testament, aren't there, about, um, the, is, uh, there's a brilliant story about the God who's called Dagon, and there's a big pole, and there's the Ark of the Covenant, and they go out and they come back and the pole's fallen over. Do you remember that story? So, so these gods or statues, these tselem, that's the word, are thought to possess the nature and the characteristics and the power of the God. And when the writer of Genesis 1 is writing this beautiful poem about creation, he chose this word to, to, to describe the nature of the relationship of God with us. Which is a bit weird, isn't it? Because we're not cult statues. Clearly we're not. But what we are, are physical representatives of the God who created us. Physical representatives of our God. We take on his name. I talked all about that last week with identity. We take on some of his characteristics. And we move in his power. So this, right, this isn't so crazy as you think. He's not suggesting for a minute that we are cult, lifeless statues. He's suggesting that like the cult, lifeless statues of other religions... We don't need a lifeless statue. We don't need any other image of God because he's created one in us. We are quite literally God's human representatives on the earth. 
And he invests into us his character, his power, and his authority so that we become, just as Mark, the phrase Mark Marx used two weeks ago was, carriers of the divine presence. We become carriers of the divine presence. Now I learned all this, now I'll come back to that. The other part of this is that he gives us a task. That's a little bit more about the identity. It's kind of built into us. And he gives us a task and he says, let them rule, let them dominate or have dominion, let them rule over the rest of creation. And the Hebrew word rather is mostly used to describe royalty or political leadership. Royalty or political leadership. So that's us. Fred, you don't have to think of yourselves as being any one of them, and I'm not making any political statements. You may or may not be a royalist. You may or may not like the current leadership of the country. But that's who God's asking us to be. He's creating us to rule. If you look at Psalm 8, which I've written out for you there, just four verses from Psalm 8. This is one of the songs of worship that the Hebrew nation sang. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion or rule over the works of your hands. And you've put all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, all the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You know that thing where it says under his feet? It's under his feet. That's code for having, if, you, if something's under your feet, you have power over them. There's just a quote here. Did I put this on your, I don't, yes, I did put this on your room sheet as well. The, the expression under his feet is an echo of the traditional formula of kingship. Kings would be commissioned by heaven to rule justly and compassionately, but have conquering power against evil. The kingship which the Lord has bestowed on man is intended as the mediation of God's own rule. There you go, you academics. There's a little bit of academic stuff for you. We are to rule just as the ancient kings were to rule, as an expression of God's rule. And therefore, as such, we have the same task as them, to fight the forces of evil, to bring light in the darkness, to bring order out of chaos. Just like Adam and Eve were charged with doing. They were there to work the garden. They were there to order the chaotic garden. Like Solomon. By the way, the guy who taught me all this, Crispin, Joe mentioned him. He's a brilliant Bible teacher and he's coming in a couple of weeks. And he's going to unpack the next part of this, the the Solomon bit. How did Solomon exercise his rule as a leader, the rule of God? Like King Alfred, who... Joe talked about two or three weeks ago in Winchester. We are called to bring order from chaos. And whatever you're doing in your work, you are bringing order from chaos. Just think about that for a minute. Okay? Maybe you're studying and there's a lot of uh, information out there and it feels a bit chaotic and you're bringing order to it. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a farmer. Maybe you're a parent or a social worker or an IT code writer or you work in finance or insurance. Whatever you're doing, you're bringing order out of chaos because that's what God made us to do. And if you think about your neighbourhood and the people in it and especially the ones who perhaps need some help or some investment, maybe there's an environment that's not working, we are called to bring order from chaos to bring God's presence, his rule and reign. And this deeper understanding of Genesis 1, I think is really significant as we think about the concept of being trusted rulers. 
As I've said, we are unleashed to carry the divine presence to our cities and towns and communities. We're not just random people sent on a random mission. We're not just foot soldiers who are simply doing the bidding of some higher uncaring command. We are God's royal representatives, trusted rulers, filled with his power, given authority and commissioned to represent him in the places we've been sent to and where we go. It's not just what he's called to, it's actually who we are. So um, yesterday the Healing on the Streets team went out again and uh, Trisha, one of the teams, sent Joe this email. She said, we were, uh, Joe was actually out there, but these guys were off doing something, just following up from the Mark Marks training we'd had a couple of weeks ago. She said she sent a whole list of people that she spoke to, some of whom she prayed for. I'm just going to give you two or three. Spoke to a lady called Sheila, who had osteoarthritis, spoke healing to her. This is just yesterday on the streets of Winchester. Spoke to a lady called Denise, who was in grief because her mum and brother had died and her dad has Alzheimer's. We prayed for strength and support. And a lady called Roz, we asked her questions. Um, we asked her questions about whether she needed a miracle today. And she said randomly, if we wanted a direct debit, she didn't have anything on her. We say, oh, no, 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 we'd like to pray for you. She said, there was so much. So we just prayed for the love of God for her, and she was quite emotional. An encounter on the streets of Winchester yesterday. Prayed for Pete, who runs the bookstall, who has rheumatoid arthritis. And then I'm just going to read you this as it is in the email. This is at the end. When John uh, walked back with the chairs, I... Trisha went into a couple of shops. One of them was the pound shop. At the checkout, the guy picked up one of my purchases and suddenly said, wow, that went through without me doing anything. That was a miracle. To which I replied, it's funny you should say that. We've just been asking people on the streets, if God could do one miracle for you personally today, what would would you ask him to do? What would you say if I were to ask you that? He said he'd got into college and he would ask for the money to be able to live in London. So when I asked him if I could pray, he agreed. So I prayed for financial stability for his studies. I thought we'd finish for the day, but obviously the Lord hadn't. (laughs) Isn't that a great story? About somebody who is a trusted ruler, who is doing all of what God has called her to do, made in the image of God, made to carry the divine presence, made to be somebody who is there to rule over creation, in a good and just way, and to see God's kingdom restored. Isn't that amazing? Here's something you can do if you don't know how to make a start on this. On the front of, these, of all the chairs is a tiny little piece of paper. Paul did this a few weeks ago. You may have picked up on it already, but if you didn't, just start passing them around. All you need is one of these. Okay, it's just, oh, uh, there's nothing special or magic about it, by the way. It's just a piece of paper cut to roughly the size of a credit card. Okay? Um, that's all it is. Um, I've, I was looking for one of these this week to, to do this on, and I didn't have one, so I just wrote it on the back, I just wrote mine on the back of my business card. But um, all it is is a very simple activity called one-minute prayer. And all the suggestion is is that you think about five people who you know, who you think, well, do you know... Those guys, those guys, I could see them, I could imagine them coming to faith. I could imagine them saying yes to Jesus. I could imagine them making that commitment, and I'd love to pray for them. So you write their names down on the piece of paper. Okay? So that's five people that you could imagine coming to faith at some point in the future. And then 
you turn it over and you write another five down. And these are five people that you couldn't imagine ever coming anywhere near Jesus. Okay? People that you think, do you know, I don't know if I really do have any faith for them. I, don't, I just think this, in their walk with God, and their spiritual journey, they're so far away that I, I, you know, I, I don't even think about it because it's just not there. Write their names down as well. And then all we're going to do is we're going to take a minute each day and we're going to pray for them. Just a minute. Stick it in your wallet or something. You might want to do that right now. Why don't you just make a start anyway? Just stick, just, there you go. Here's how to start. Right, one, two, three, four, five. Okay? And just start to think, who is it that I know? Who's in my sphere of influence that I would love to see encounter the presence of God in a way that really impacted them and made a difference? And, and that this will just be a reminder for me to start praying for them. Just a minute a day. By the way, if you're more technical than this, you might want to write this on your phone instead. It's, it's up to you. You might want to even set a reminder on your phone. One minute prayer. One minute prayer. Don't do this out of a sense of duty. Just do it because it's what we're called to do. Ask the Lord. Don't just make them up. And if you, you know, don't rush it now. If you can't think, take it home. Make a start and then take it home and finish it later. But pop a reminder in your phone. Do that now if you think you'll forget. Just take your phone out. Put a little reminder in. One minute prayer. One minute prayer. Pray for these guys. That's a real simple way that we can actually start to exert our power and authority that God has given us over the sphere of influence that he's put us in. And I just want to cover three or four other small, short things. Because I know that, that that's something that everybody can do. But I know that for, for many of us, we know where we're called. We know where God's put us. We have a definite sense that, yep, this is what we're working towards. This is who we are. But there are others of us who don't sense that right now. There are others of us who know that we've sort of finished one season and we're not quite sure what the next season is about. Maybe you're in transition and the, the, the worst, this happened to us some time ago and somebody described it as if we'd let go of one trapeze, you know, like the trapeze artist at the circus, and we were flying through the air and we didn't actually know if we were going to catch the next one. And maybe for some people that's how you feel. Joe's spoken to two or three people in the last week or two and the actual words they've used are, I just feel lost. And maybe you're listening to me thinking, oh yeah, Nigel, that's all very well you saying, yep, have your assignment clarity and you know, just look around your neighbourhood and figure out who God's put you, but I'm struggling with that. I don't know where God's called me, or I don't know what he's called me to, or I did know and I've just, circumstances have got the better of me and I've just lost sight of it. Here's just three or four principles that have just been very simple things that have gone on in our lives, things that we've, we've lived by, things that we've learned that may be helpful for you. The first one is last orders is good orders. You know, if you heard God say something and you haven't heard him say something else, then your last orders still stand. What were our last orders? Have they changed? Or have we changed? Well, just, just start to unpack that. You know, is it me that's changed, or is, God, or is actually God changing things? Another, another thing that's really helpful that we've learned over time is serve someone else's vision. 
If you don't feel that you have a really specific or particular vision for what you're doing right now or for what you want to do, then just find someone else who does and just tuck in under their wing and serve their vision for a while. You know, and just be faithful in that. You know, you meet someone who's really passionate, they want to see X, Y, and Z happen, and you think, I could, be, I could help there. I'd love to be part of that. Well, just tuck in there. You know, there's a story in the Bible about King David. He was anointed as king, but then he went back to being a shepherd boy for years. The, the dreams that were put in his heart took a long time to become reality. And in the meantime, he just humbly went about doing his job, doing his duty. Here's another one. Loose change in God's pocket. This is an expression that John Wimber, who started the vineyard movement, used to use. He said, I'm just loose change in God's pocket. He can spend me just as he pleases. You know, just keep it simple and be content with serving and following him. You know, I never aspired to be a church leader. I was a house group leader and a worship leader, and I remember saying to God, I love doing this. I love your church here in Birmingham. I love what I'm called to do. And if this is as much as I ever get to do in all of my and this sounds pious now, but this is genuine. Is this, if this is what I get to do for the rest of my life, I'm loving it, God. This is brilliant. Just be prepared to serve and just to, to, to do whatever God wants you to do. And obedience, not success. God's so much more interested in our obedience. I mean, in a sense, you know, Trish, whose email I read out earlier, she started the email by saying, we prayed for all these people and nobody actually got healed, as far as we know, on the day. But that's not the point. The point is obedience. Last week, Joe stood here and said, I think God's healing people and and nobody, some of you prayed, and, and as we've heard, God was doing things, but nobody responded on the moment. And Joe sort of made a point of saying, I'm not interested in looking good. I'm interested in doing what God wants to do. And so hopefully those things will just help you. And then very lastly, there's a brilliant tool, which I won't go into in lots of detail, but you can look it up on the internet. Just Google Shape Tool, Rick Warren. Um, it's a very helpful little sort of structure tool that will help you analyse what's going on if you do genuinely feel stuck and lost. You feel like, I just don't know what's next. I don't know what God wants me to do. And this shape thing is brilliant. It just stands for spiritual gifts, heart or desires or hopes or dreams or passions, um, abilities, what are your natural talents, personality. You know, we're all made unique. There are no right or wrong personalities, but um, how you're, what, what, the way God's wired you may determine how he wants you to serve and where he best wants to use you. And your experiences, which is really important. What have you learned from your family, from your education, your job, your spiritual experiences, any ministry, particularly any painful experiences that you've been through? We've all been through painful experiences of one kind or another. But what have we learned from that, and how does God want to use that? And so if you genuinely are stuck, and you know, if you're sort of looking out thinking, I don't have a clue, Google that, have a look at it, have a think about it. If you're still stuck, just come and see me. I'd love to talk about it with you some more. But that's a great tool for helping as well. If you sort of genuinely think, I just don't know what my assignment is, then perhaps those are some things that can start as you start to unpack that and pray about it and think about it. Just to, find, just to finish, if we're going to see transformation in our communities, then we will need to become, fully become these trusted rulers. I'll go back to this one at the start who are scattered around the places we live and work and fully engaged with God's kingdom activity in those places. 
Alan Scott said this, we are called to reverse decline and release God's grand design. I love little sound bites like that. Reverse decline and release God's design. You know, having great services in our church will be is lovely and it's brilliant. And it'll make us all feel great and we'll really minister to God and, and that's awesome. But only if we go out from here as trusted rulers, scattered into our community, will we really change the community. The best goal in our environment is total renewal. Renewal and revival. And God calls us as trusted rulers to be that. And we need to know our identity. We need to know who we're called. We need to know where we've been sent. And then Paul will talk next week about knowing the authority in which we act. But for now, why don't you stand and let's invite the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the band can come back and then... Okay, great. Guys, can you come and lead us in a song? Yeah. Great. There's a lot to think about. You've got some notes to take away and read. Uh, We will respond to God, but it'd be great if the band would just lead us in a song first, and then we can just have a moment to, uh, to invite the Holy Spirit and just try and see what he wants to do. Go for it, guys.